Hello, hello, and welcome to this episode of Angle on Producers, the show where we shine a light on the incredible individuals working behind the scenes to bring your favorite stories to life. As always, I am your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. However you found the show, I am so thankful you're here tuning in, doing this life thing with me. If you don't already, please follow me on the socials. I'm at Carolina Gropa, the show's at Angle on Producers. And also, if you like the show, please head over to Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts and hit that subscribe button. And if you feel inclined to, uh, also leave a review. As you guys know, this is a labor of love. I do mostly on my own. And so any help I can get from our community to help spread the word always goes a long way. And I'm always so appreciative. Also, if you don't already, please subscribe to my newsletter. I'm really committed to doing it weekly. Just pop it in your inbox, not spamming you and just bringing you a few things that hopefully help you navigate your journey from different bits of wisdom that I have received to interesting articles, temperature checks on what's going on in the industry, opportunities that come up. Check it out. It's going to be linked in my bio if you want to find that. Or you can head over to my website, carolinagropa.com, and sign up there. Okay, so let's get right into it because we have a very rich and nuanced chat to share with you guys this week. As you know, I'm very intentional about who I bring on the show, and Attica and Tembi Locke are no exception. I discovered this dynamic sister duo after devouring their Netflix limited series from scratch, starring Zoe Saldana. Once my tear ducts could no longer produce any more tears, I immediately had to find out who was behind this beautiful show. Tembi is a New York Times bestselling author, TV producer, actor, and screenwriter. Her memoir, From Scratch, a memoir of love, Sicily, and finding home, was a 2019 Reese's Book Club pick and New York Times bestseller. Alongside Hello Sunshine, Tembi and Attica adapted the book as a limited series, which trended in the top 10 globally in 84 countries for weeks on end following its October 2022 release. Clearly, talent is abundant in this home because Attica is also an award-winning screenwriter, TV producer, and novelist. She co-created and served as showrunner on From Scratch. Some of her other screen credits include Little Fires Everywhere, When They See Us, and Empire. She is also a New York Times bestselling author of five different novels. And I'm just like, what was in the water growing up for these two? Because give me some of that talent, y'all. How incredible for them to have each other in this artistic journey that they have gone on. They are delightful. They are astute creators. And I can't wait to watch their star continue to rise. So in this chat, we dive into why it's necessary to come up for air and refuel. How sometimes the things you fear the most end up being the greatest gifts and how to own your creative vision while staying open to collaboration. So without further ado, here's Attica and Tendi. Very excited to have you both on because I, of course, found you both through From Scratch and had my heart broken and shattered into a million pieces and then was welded back together in the journey of watching um, this beautiful piece of art that you created, which is obviously based on a memoir that you wrote, Tembi. And I was honestly very ignorant. I had no idea. I just experienced the show and then went on the rabbit hole of like, wait a minute, this is based on a real story. And it was just, it took me on a journey, let me tell you. So of course, off the top, I just need to commend you both for being vulnerable enough to share that story and then going through the process of adapting it into a miniseries, which is a whole nother beast that we'll get to. <laughs> um, and then having obviously the brilliant Zoe Sadania be able to just, I, I capture, I would imagine, 
that experience for you in a way that just, I, I think, made the show the success that it is. So congratulations. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Um, this is exciting. And thank you for those kind words. Um, we often say we threw our hearts over the bar when we did this. Yeah. It required um, that sort of heart endeavor, but then it also required a great deal of craftsmanship along the way and a great deal of business and professional acumen and all the things that I'm so glad to have that conversation as well. Um, we sort of drill down into the how. The how, yeah, which I'm obsessed with, the process, right, of the behind the scenes, the inner workings. Um, so there's so much out there on you guys already. So for the purposes of time, I just give us a little a little taste, a little appetizer of just your backstory, the beginning, how you discovered storytelling and eventually found yourself in Hollywood. Okay. I'm I'm the first. First. Um, <laughs> Rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, so I uh, have been in Hollywood for over 25 years telling stories. Um, I've been an actor, I'm a member of the Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild. And um, I thought that was exclusive going to be my path was to be in front of the camera and um, as you know from having watched the series or a little bit about my life my elements of my personal life i.e my late husband's illness changed the trajectory of my life i ultimately wrote a book about that experience and life after his passing which i had the good fortune <laughs> of adapting into a series um which led me to becoming a producer, which was never something I expected to become. <laughs> that was never on my vision board at all. But it was a story that felt I felt uniquely, uh, for obvious reasons, um, suited to participate in. But the fact that I got to do it with my sister, riding, you know, side saddle to her as showrunner, um, meant that um, if I were ever going to produce anything, well, hell, she's the person to do it with. And this is the material. So here I am. I love that. Interesting that you decided to write a book and not jumped automatically to a screenplay where you could tell your story, act in your story, right? Which is maybe where some would go to. Yeah. And I, if you, I, I can answer that simply by saying um, I love long form narrative writing. I love it. And because it is a story about loss and because it's at the scale of memoir, there was no way I could fit that into like a script. Like I could a single script, right? I knew I needed to unpack it in prose, that experience that grief asked of me that particular art form. And then once I did that, then it was like, oh, okay, now I can just go to a visual medium to tell the story. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't even think I ever tried to just sit down and like make it a screen, but it always was essays and journals and, and, and sort of a, that kind of narrative. Beautiful. What about for you, Attica? Um, I've always been a writer, even though it was a form of play for me. I think Tembi and I were encouraged as children to play we were, for better or worse, left alone <laughs> a lot. And we <laughs> made up all kinds of roles. Sometimes we played parallel play. Sometimes we played together. So I've always written stories. And somewhere around high school, it coalesced for me around film. I thought I wanted to be a movie director. That's the path that I thought I was going to be on. And, you know, I went to Northwestern. I went to film school. But I 
and I came out and I did the Sundance Labs and I just thought that's what I'm and writing was always a means to writing was just let me write something so I can direct it and then things didn't go life life does all these twists and turns and my very my very first project the thing I came out of Sundance with um it, it was a movie that was set up that that just fell apart and I was like very young and confused and hurt. And I became then a screenwriter for hire because it was a way to make a living. Um, And then I got sick of that. And then I thought none of these movies are getting made. And I became a novelist. And then I did that for a while. And then while I was doing that, television became the thing that we understand it to be today, which is this wonderful place for grown-up stories, for in-depth character stuff, for like Timby said, long form. I've often felt that the way that we consume television now is very close to the way we consume books. Um, you take it in little pieces. You know, you can watch, read the whole thing in a sitting, can watch the whole thing in a sitting, or you can come at it in different ways. And so I wanted to play in television. I, you know, I wanted to come back to Hollywood and, and be a part of television. And my first way back was, was a show called Empire. And that just started this whole open door to where I could sit with both pros, but also have a life in television. Yeah, I, in listening to and uh, doing my research, I was listening to your conversation with Tembi on her podcast about how you mentioned a lot of people don't realize that your career actually started in Hollywood. It was a sort of a zigzag, as you say. And there's there's a, a bit in here that we can get to later, but this idea that you actually hit a and I quote a psychological breaking point and you walked away from Hollywood, went into publishing, then came back on your own terms, which I want to get to because. Like the power in that sentence now, right? But at the time oh. to go through that, like to to have the nerve to leave and then to have the nerve to come back, you know, like that is that is power, you know, and to do it on your own terms, like you said. So I, I definitely want to get to that at some point or we can just jump into that right now, just go right into the deep end of the pool. Well, you know? Why don't we? Because I love how you framed that the way that looks now. Yes. Because at the time I was lost. I was just like, what is happening? But, and it's, I will never discount the fact that my deciding to write a book coincided very closely with the, with my brother-in-law's diagnosis, that there was suddenly a realization of like, oh no, we all only have so much time. What do I want to do with mine? And so that's when I felt like I'm breaking inside. Like it was a, it was a feeling of absolute mortality and what am I doing with my life? So in hindsight, it feels brave. And I suppose it was, but it was the kind of bravery where you're brave because you're quivering inside with fear. Uh, and it was, it was a way to save myself in a lot of ways. And I, I credit also Timby for, because I also had sadness about leaving Hollywood. I had so many feelings about that. And, and she said to me, I don't think you're done with Hollywood or I don't think Hollywood is done with you. And I didn't believe her and I didn't know what that meant, but she was right. Yeah. I want to just piggyback off of that and say, Attica, you know, we talk about the bravery of that moment and you talk about it as like quivering, but I also think there's sometimes a bravery when you are like, I am drowning and I've got to hit the surface for a breath of air. And there's that kind of survival or to, and you I think we're at a moment of you knew internally you had to reach for the air of artistic survival. And that is what made you fight to be like, what is the other thing I can do? Because I feel underwater being a writer for hire with nothing ever getting produced. 
And then I'm going to remind you of something someone told me. Um, you were, oh gosh, I think it was very early. We were at a dinner party and someone said, if you won the lotto, what would you do with with your, with the million dollars? And you, without missing a beat, said, I'd make a film. I'd make a story. And I remember people were like, you know, like dubious, like, you know, cynical about that. But you were very clear that that was your path. And guess what? We're on this podcast today. So, <laughs> I, you know, it, it go, you know, I don't know what they're doing, the people who were cynical, but you, you know, and, and the path is never a straight line. It's never, ever. And by the way, if it were, how friggin' boring would that be? I mean, that's right. It would be. But I think a lot of people, young people come out here thinking that, right? It's certainly olden days of Hollywood. And now there's so much that you can do in so many paths and being a multi-hyphenate and you can kind of find your way in through so many different cracks that it makes it in a way more exciting, but also more terrifying because there's so much more opportunity in a way. And, you know, I think what's really important to know it is that th this idea of one that I always speak this, this concept of like leaving LA every six months to restore your sanity, right? Leaving Hollywood, whatever that means, mm. leaving this bubble where everywhere you go, people are just living and breathing this business and going somewhere that kind of refills your well as a human, like not even as an artist, just as a human to be able to come back and like armor up and suit up because this business is hard. It comes with a lot of ups and downs. And obviously we're in the middle of a huge shift right now, a lot of infliction points in the industry. I have a lot of friends, you know, who have been out here grinding and are in that current slump of like, is there more? Is this it for me? Like, is this, am I needing to reach up for air because of the current state of the market? And what is the upside? Like, how do we stay optimistic in this time? And so given what is happening in, in the realities of our business, I think it's an important message to remind listeners that sometimes you do have to zig to zag, you know, and maybe that is leaving something to come back in a way that you can do it from a restored sense of self, because otherwise, I don't know. I mean, certainly there are people who can find a lot of success and be an empty shell of themselves. Like we know those people, but it's always a question of what kind of journey you personally want to go on. And if you want to get to where you're going, wherever there is and be fulfilled, you have to take inventory of that for yourself because nobody's going to do it for you. Ain't no one going to be like, why don't you take a break? You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's important. And I, I really want to drive that home. And I and I applaud you guys for saying yes. Like the, the, the sentence now is beautiful and, and very brave. But at the time, it's it's very scary to take these leaps of faith no matter what. And so the fact that you did it, I just hope that as you look back and reflect on your journey in this season of press that you're doing, that you 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 feel like okay you know I did that I did that I survived that and I'm here to tell about it yeah. so I have a I have a specific example to that end I mean as an actor in this business with you know and as a journeyman actor there were many periods where I was simply auditioning day in day out day in not booking just auditioning right and the need to stay creatively open when the whole purpose of an audition is it's very result-oriented. It's get the job. <laughs> I mean, that's usually how people go get yeah. the job. And then I'll play when I'm on set. Like that's mm. my time. But now I got to get the job. And I think when you walk into the room with that mindset, it's deadening, first of all, because you're already off focused, not on the art, not on the craft, not on the exploration. You're focused on the result because you need to pay your rent or you need to. So I've 
I lived in that space for a long time and had to recalibrate my thinking about when I go into that room, I have to use this audition, not as will I or won't I get this job, but is this a moment for me to exercise some aspect of my craft? Period. End of story. If I get the job, great. Then I get to do it more. If not, that's what I got. And in those times, I would do things like between jobs, pick up my camera, take art classes, do photography classes. And I remember I went down to the Watts Towers and there's a point to this story. And I started taking pictures down at the Watts Towers because I needed to stimulate myself creatively. I would never have known that more than 20 years later, I would be producing a series based on a book that I wrote. And in that series, we get to film at the Watts Towers using some of the you know, images inspired by what I had done in my off time as an actor, mm. trying to seek some sense of creative air, some way to explore storytelling that wasn't being an actor reciting lines, but maybe there was a story to be told with my camera. You know, and so in a way, I was always honing the craft of storytelling. I didn't know that then. But I can see now, if I add up all of those things, and I think listeners, people listening, I hope that the story is revealing of the fact that we can all be doing lots of things. But if you're just doing lots of things because you're trying to sort of like get ahead, that's different than doing lots of things that feel organically driven by your artistic interests. Because if you follow that path, it will always lead to you doing something that is meaningful for you. But if you're doing lots of things to just be doing lots of things, that's Can I even add doing things that are meaningful for, to you, but also pleasure. We get this one go round. Let's do things that are pleasing to ourselves. Like what, what gives you a great quality of life? Um, and I, I just can't stress enough. I, you, you said people come out here and think it's going to be a straight line. I was one of those people. My husband loves to tell the story that I <laughs> moved out here and thought within six yep. months I was going to have sold yep. a script. I was going to be a movie star and none of that happened. But what's kept me going this whole time in this circuitous way of whatever is doing things that I love, writing stuff down thinking about stuff, reading stuff, watching movies, like just being creatively present. And the book thing came about for me because it was another way to tell a story that didn't cost anything. It was it was a relatively cheap art form. And so I say all this to say that the love of the thing that you're doing and for 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 us, for people in this business, it's, you have to do something else because everything can't be set. Like everything can't be the making of the thing. So you have to find other ways to feel fulfilled because naturally everybody's life isn't set every day. We would all pass out if it was set every day. Nobody could live that way. There are these down times where you're not on set, where you're not actually practicing the craft of producing. And yet how do we feel still greatly fulfilled um, when we're not on set. And what is the answer to that question? Asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> for me, um, for me, it's 
being inside of story, even if it's not, it's not story I made up. So for me, it's um, reading books is a very, very, very big thing for me. Watching shows that are so rich that I need to watch it one more time to catch some stuff. And, and once you kind of get even an inkling of how things are put together, you're awe of watching other shows. Ooh, that's so fucking cool the way they did that. Oh my God. You know, so just that, so watching things that are rich, reading things. And for me also just being observant in the world, I find pleasure in just people. I find them to be funny. I find them to be absurd. They break my heart. And I just live a life in which I eavesdrop on people. I watch, I, you know, observe people. I'm nosy. You know, I'm one of these people that like looks at a house and is like, I wonder what their lives are like in there. I bet I can picture their kitchen. I bet I know what kind of refrigerator they have. Just, I'm just trying to like, because all of it is about humanity and all of it is about human connection. So that's an art to the degree that you want to consider it an art that we all practice every day. But when you're conscious of it, it's it's actually more pleasurable and enriching to know that you are consciously alive. You're consciously paying attention. Mm. You're constantly seeing patterns in human behavior. You're constantly looking and finding beauty in, in, in our time on this planet. Living artfully, that's something we wanted to say about Amy, the character in From Scratch, that that is its own art form as well. I remember in early days with that show, she's an artist who within the eight episodes never has some big show. She never has some big button that you put on things normally that show you succeeded as an artist. And we early notes, we, 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 we very early on, we're like, we're not going to do a show where her husband dies. And now she became a great famous artist, like because her husband died, like she found herself. We're not mm-hmm. doing that. We're, we're trying to say that being alive and awake, really awake is its own kind of art form and living a life of beauty and connectivity is its own kind of art form. There's a thing to living beautifully, living artfully. I mean, mic drop. It's like, this show has become like church for me, honestly, the wisdom that the guests bring, it's always so mind blowing. I guess, you know, in the spirit of that, like, once you, you know, you, this idea of like, people finding their passion and finding their path and getting to do the thing they love, right? How lucky and privileged are we that we get to be here doing this thing. But one thing I've learned is that you can be doing your dream job, and still not love every single day of it right? And still have the days where you're like, I'm not about this life, get me out of here. (laughs) And so like on those days, you know, where you are just at your limit for whatever reason, whether it's weeks, months, periods of, of time, what is it that gets you back up on your feet that gets you showing up every day? Because I think this business is a business of resilience, really, when you look around, it's all the people that just like, didn't give up and are full of mud and are just kind of like still here, you know? Um, So yeah, in those moments, how do you navigate those times? I mean, for me, an organizing principle that I come to now, right, at this stage of my life and having made this particular show um, and having practiced different kinds of art forms and hit walls and had to like reimagine and reconfigure how I would go forward The organizing principle for me is when I get stuck or when I feel like um, the forces are too heavy, that's kind of how I generally first begin to assess it. I'm like, hmm, um, my light feels a little dim. 
Oh, I'm less generous. Hmm. Oh, um, I feel a lot of like brain fog or I don't have anything to offer this situation. When I have an accumulation of those sensations, that is an internal message to me to stop reevaluating. Okay, I've hit a wall because now I'm not doing the thing I came out here at 23 years old to do, which is to offer up in service of storytelling, offer up stories of love, of transcendence, of like of things that I haven't seen before. That's the one thing I'm here to do to give. And if I am stuck, dim, <laughs> foggy, <laughs> irritated, and ungenerous, then I am not fulfilling that thing that I set out mm. to do. And then what I do is I try to recenter, and I have different ways I do that, and then say, okay, well, what's one thing I could do right now that opens the aperture a little bit? So to me in this business, we're going to, you know, those people who are listening who know photography, there's different F-stops on the camera, right? And so like, you know, sometimes I'm like, I got to open the F-stop. Like <laughs> I am like, I am like, it's so close time. Nothing's, nothing's happening. And so it's like, let a little bit of breathing room in, right? Because from that place, I'm going to be able to step into the best, the highest and best I can offer. And so, um, and also if I notice that I'm getting those messages of dark, dim, foggy, that then also I have to ask myself, is this situation a match? Because it may not be a match. And that doesn't mean that the business isn't a match. It doesn't mean the project is not a match. It may mean that this particular configuration of energies or people or situation, something is not aligning with what is allowing me to do my best work. And it doesn't mean that they're wrong and I'm right. I mean, it might mean that. <laughs> but it might mean, you know, that I'm wrong and they're right. It, there's, it's beyond right and wrong. It's simply a misalignment. And only I can know that for myself. And without like, you know, scorching the earth that everybody stands on or like making a big stake, I can just be like, oh, I either need to recalibrate or recuse myself or come at this some other kind of way. And that's what I've come to. And producing really taught me how to do that well. I learned it as an actor, as a journeyman actor, because, you know, you walk onto set and you're there for two days and you're working with, you know, huge A-listers and it's big budget and it's all the things, right? And like, you don't know what has happened on set before you got there. You don't know the challenges. You're just there. You're like, oh, I want to do my part. And then you have to stay open in the face of whatever else is happening around you. Otherwise, you can't do your mm. job. So I had to learn early on as an actor, like, okay, well, this maybe isn't about me. And maybe there are forces that are bigger, but I've got to still find a way to show up in my in my highest and best self. Otherwise, no one's ever going to hire me again. And I kind of bring that to my role as producer. Yes, to all of that. And as you can see, having her as a partner is like, we can level each other out, remind each other of what this is all really about. I feel like when I've gotten stuck either within, when it's within myself, I usually try to practice radical gratitude, just, just literally the earth beneath my feet, literally this next breath, just slow it down to the real essence. When you're, when your energy is stuck, but you're in the middle of a hour six and you got six more to go what do you do that's when I feel like I lean on the human connections around me 
I lean on humor, you know, finding some kind of humor in the situation, finding the fact that I it is pleasant to be around this person at Video Village's uh, presence. So that's that for tonight. It's it's I'm tired, but we can still find some kind of fun in this. It's another lesson to to the degree that you are able to work with people with whom um, you feel not just creative alignment, just but just I need to be around decent people. I don't know how else yeah. to put it. I can't be around wild ass, angry, egoic. Nah, no, 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 no. That's back to there's only so much time in life. So surrounding yourself with people who are fundamentally, we're all just trying to do the same thing. In the wee hours of the morning, it's those human connections that can give you an extra little boost of energy and humor, humor, humor. Um, I certainly have been lucky in my life that I have been on shows and now have a producing partner with people who I can't stand of who make me laugh. Laughter will really go really far come two o'clock yeah. in the morning <laughs> on a Friday. Um, so laughter's big. And so I try to when either hiring people or 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 putting myself up to be hired, I'm also trying to feel out, do I want to hang out with this person for a long time? Could we get stuck in an elevator together? You know, literally basic stuff like that, because I'm telling you that it goes so far to be around people you find to be pleasant, entertaining, um, warm and engaging and not mean. Yeah, absolutely. On that note, how would both of you define a producer and what do you think makes a producer exceptional? Nimbleness is the number one thing I would say that makes you exceptional. Um, nimble, because best laid plans, probably not going to go the way you thought. Anything's going to get thrown at you at any moment. And having vision obviously is so important, but you can't execute the vision unless you know where the vision can be bent and where it cannot be bent. So the 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 nimbleness uh, and having a kind of north star for yourself about what the story is because it's going to have to bend at some way some point is going to bend you're not going to somebody's going to have to drop out because of COVID or somebody twisted their ankle and they can't do the lights the way you wanted them to be done we lost this location it started raining what what of the scene can bend and still be the actual story that we're trying to tell. So that to me is the thing that makes a great producer. And I just think producers are, I just picture somebody who has like a bag, a grab bag of scotch tape, a <laughs> screwdriver, uh, you know, a bat. Like, it's just like MacGyver. It's like, you just got everything in your bag in case some shit goes wrong. We're going to make sure the train stays on the track with scotch tape and everything. What do you yeah. and, and And then it's the leadership style. Yeah. Because that's the other piece. So you've got to have the grab bag of all the things you're going to need, but then you've got to rally the troops and get everybody aligned toward what this next pivot is, even when we're tired, even when we're short on money, even when things went wrong. Um, and that piece, that sort of teaming piece, that leadership piece, I think is what makes a really good producer, right? Because, and a good producer is also someone who listens, who um, is willing to sort of 
say, okay, let me hear all suggestions on the table um, and really mean that, like really listen. And I don't mean just when there's like a, a problem to be solved or, 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 or a suggestion needs to be made, but also listen for the, um, listen and watch. Like, I don't know if you can listen to a nonverbal cue, but like watch for nonverbal cues and listen to things that aren't being said to sort of see what you can offer your team to help them do the best work they can do. And sometimes that is a morale lift. Sometimes it is literally like we need more food on set <laughs> or we need better food on set. Or we right? need a coffee cart. Or we just need a coffee cart and donuts. Yeah, or we need, <laughs> yeah, or it's been one hell of a week and we're going to need to sort of not have those heavy scenes at the end of the, uh, by the, yeah. by, we're not going to, no one can have gas in their tank on Friday. Being able to sort of forecast that, see that, and to the degree that is possible, move move things around to accommodate your team. And always making people feel like we are in this together. Because if you don't value everyone's contribution, you have nothing. Yeah. I mean, you, you have something, but you certainly don't maybe have the best working environment. People don't feel that their work is valued. There's not one person on set whose job doesn't matter. They all matter. Yeah. Right. There's an awareness and an attentiveness, I think, that is required and it requires your full self to show up. Right. Which is why I preach a lot on the show, always asking producers how they practice self-care, because when you're on set, you're running the troops. You're, it's a lot of energy output. It's a lot of give. It's got to be out all the time. And then when you go home you're depleted, right? And if you've had a rough day, like we're all humans too, if you get yelled at enough times, like it is a lot to release. And so having a process or some kind of self-care routine, even when you're in production, which maybe that's just sleeping an extra hour, you know, that just allows you to release some of this stuff for your soul so that, again, you can show up your best because that's what's needed. It's so important. And I'm curious if like, with the experience of From Scratch specifically, was there ever a time where maybe both of you felt that way, where it was like, it's so much love going out, but you just got to go home and get that love back in. And how do you refill your own well? With From Scratch in particular, I was very clear and I can, I will speak from my internal <laughs> own physical uh, body. I knew that I had to sort of tend to three core areas. I had to attend to my emotional well-being, yeah. period, end of story, or nothing worked. I had to tend to my physical self, right? So that meant for me, it could be extra sleep. It could be I have to have, you know, a dense, well-balanced meal. I can't eat on the go and have enough in the tank to give because I'm pulling from deep emotional wells. On and that is um, costing me calories, energy, everything. So maybe that day, the craft service meal wasn't for me. Right. Like I just need to postmate something that is different for me because I'm being asked to, yeah. you know, go there. Yeah. Push the push a, a, a rock up the hill a little bit. And the other place was having my emotional support team that was offsite. Right. People who were not, not in any way related to this production. I mean, they were because they're my family. So, and of course, because of the material, but, you know, it's it's it's. And those people that I could go to, that I might be able to, even though you're exhausted, see for half an hour on a Sunday, you know, and just get a hug because you don't have enough energy to really yeah. do a dinner party on the Sunday. <laughs> At least I didn't. 
you know, um, but but knowing that there's something planned for that off day that is joyful, that fills the tank with your social group that has nothing to do with work. That was very valuable for me. So those are three areas of self-care that I was, you know, attentive to just in my own ecosystem. And then Attic and I had processed as a team that we also did, which she, you know, might speak to a little bit. Yes. Um I have so many thoughts. Um, at some point, I want to look at also, I'm curious about your experience interviewing so many different producers. The way that we're talking about producing has such a female energy about it. It has such a, the the attentiveness, the paying attention, the the caretaking of team. Like, I'm, I'm curious, but that's, we can talk about that in a minute, just what it also looks like um, male producers, if they're watching as many nonverbal cues as we naturally do, I think better uh, than men. But anyway, to speak to Timby and I, we made sure to just take care of each other as sisters. So, and that meant several things. Sometimes it meant, hey, are you okay with the scene? Hey, why don't you let me take the scene and you don't really need to be here for this. Sometimes it meant not even, let's just drop all producing talk. Let's just be sisters. Are you okay? Yeah. How are you doing? I need to laugh. Let's go get a taco. Let's do something fun and crazy. The other thing that helped me, and I am a, I am a gregarious introvert. So I'm fine with people. I like being around people, but it exhausts me. So I definitely on weekends go into a kind of shell. But what helps me on set is, and I've done this even when I was not showrunner, is to let the valve out a little bit, meaning I don't pretend to be an automaton. I have cried on set. I have told people I'm going to go cry right now, or I have the feelings that I'm having, not in such a way that they're disrupting the next shot or the next setup we got to do, but if I were trying to hold in a cry that needed to happen at 10 a.m. till 10 p.m., I don't know. I don't know how that would go. And I'm, I have a decision within myself in the same way that at, at, at 49, I don't really code switch much anymore. I'm just who the fuck I am. And so part of that is I'm having a big feeling right now. And if it is safe for me to walk away for 15 minutes, can you co-producer, be that Timby, be it a, a rep from the production company. Can you cover this for a minute? Because I need to let this out. I need to open the valve, let it out a little bit so that I can come back. So I might do that three times in a day. And it it helped to not feel like you have to hold it together perfectly and have no feelings about the things that are happening all day long. And so that's another thing about surrounding yourself with people that you like, people that you trust, not just with the budget, but with your heart, with your soul, do you trust them to be kind when you need a break? Um, or you need to just express a feeling? Because sometimes I just want to express a feeling. There's nothing to do about it. But I can just say, I don't like what's happening right now. Okay, let's keep going. But I don't like it. We'll talk about it later, but I don't like it. So I think there's, for me, there has been value in being authentically myself all day long. I'm not in a way that in, disrupts production. 
but in a way that is so fundamentally honest that I'm not exhausted from being fake all day. I think the process of bringing any of these stories to life is fundamentally very emotional. And while yes, it's a business and there's like schedules and budgets and and restrictions and all of that, you still have a collective of humans, 100 plus humans coming together who are all vibrating on different wavelengths, feeling different ways about different things that's happening outside the work that they're bringing to work because work becomes your life. You're working 12 plus hours a day. It's impossible to separate the two. And I think you can't really leave your humanity at the door, you know, and it's not to say that you have to bring your baggage to work. That's not what I'm saying. It just means that you have to. And I think that's just the practice of doing it. And also the wisdom of, of age and self knowing, right, which is the work that you do offset, so that you can show up on set being that person who's kind, who's generous, who is a collaborator that you trust with your heart, because you've gone and done the work on yourself to be that kind of person that people want in their vicinity, as you're going through this process, which is so hard, and it does take a lot out of you. In general, general, especially when you're going into it from such a personal place of having this, this actual life experience that you've already had to go into your well to write a novel of it. And now you have to take that novel, chop it up into a million little pieces and figure out how to piece it back together in a way that makes sense for a different format. You know, it's a lot um, to consider. And so yes, I 100% agree. And, And to answer your question, I think that there's different producerial styles, right? I think that when people used to think of a producer, when you say that to most people, there is a image that conjures in your mind of how that person looks. It's usually a man and how a set is commanded specifically. And I I feel like in the last 15 years, because of the shift and movement towards inclusion and really bringing more women into Mm. the workplace, we do have, I have felt that in my own experience, a big shift in that where a lot of the men I've had the privilege of working with still do lead a set from a place of compassion. And it's like a stern loving Mm. hand, you know, it's not woo woo, we're not going to meditate together. But like there is, there is a, a parent figure there to keep everybody going forward when all the kids are running fucking around freaking out because their favorite toy didn't arrive on time, you know? So I've been sure to say that a lot of the men I gravitate towards having on the show um, and or even working with tend to fall in that camp of leadership style. So it's not to say that there aren't others that exist. I'm sure there is, and perhaps they are effective. They get the job done. But really, the only thing we can control is the journey. And so for me as a producer, that's what I show up for every day, right? Because you already got to the hardest part, which is that green light. You're there making your movie. You're making your show. So now you have all the things you got to do every day. But then at, at the undercurrent of it is, what is that journey that you're creating for others? What is that experience that you can give to make that the best experience it can be within the confines of the restrictions that are inherent to every project? And so- I think that's like sort of the bigger differentiator of it. But I, I do feel like we're, for all the challenges we still have and the, the ways we still have to go in our industry, there's so much progress to be made. I do feel like we have crossed over into this new way of working that is much better thanks to a lot of the heavy lifting that um, incredible women and people of color have been doing uh, behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. Women like Reese Witherspoon, which... <laughs> process us over nicely. So I want to talk about yeah. just the journey, right? Speaking of journey. So g- being a part of her book club in 2019, being a pick for her book club, then being a New York Times bestseller, then and again, you didn't even seek out to write a book, right? Which is like the most amazing part of all of this. And then you get to develop alongside Attica and Hello Sunshine. 
deconstructing your whole personal narrative that you had put into this novel, a mini series, a limited series for Netflix. So in that process, what are some of the surprises that you both encountered about the development and perhaps the production process that going into it, you had no idea, but looking back, you're like, whoa. It's a great question. Um, I, I, I'll start with development. Um, we initially thought this was going to be like 10 episodes. That was initially when we sold it, it was going to be 10 episodes. And I was like, and for me, I, as the person who lived it and who wrote it, I was like, how are we going to stretch this across, you know, 10, 10 hours, right? So there was just like, where are all the pieces going to fall, right? And what's the sort of arc? And we initially knew that we were going to tell the series in chronological order. The book is in a more mosaic fashion, um, shifting in time, having narrative um, loops that go back in time. But we knew we needed to sort of move straight forward. So we write these 10 episodes and COVID happens. <laughs> we go into lockdown. We were literally, I think, on our, Attic and I were writing the, finale, I think. Um, and I was like, literally, I was like, well, that was a interesting experience, experiment, because in my mind, I thought, well, everything that thus that up until that point had been so uh, fortuitous, serendip serendipity, it was like, talk about gratitude. It was just like icing on a cake. Like I thought, okay, well, that's maybe the run. That was the run of show. Like that's all that was supposed to happen. Yeah. Right. Cause now global pandemic and my show is international and there's all these things. And it was, we already knew it was going to be hard to cast internationally. And Italy was literally on fire at the time. And so the surprise for me came when the phone call said, came from Netflix that yes, they were going to go forward. And, but we needed to make it eight episodes. And I was like, wait, I literally was like, how do we take 10 and go down to eight? What do we, how does that actually happen? And the, and we did. And the surprise for me now is I can't ever have imagined those 10 episodes. Interesting. Right. I, what I thought couldn't fit into 10 and then we may fit into 10, then had to be, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> condensed to eight and perfect. So that right there is a lesson for me. And like the, sometimes constraints are wonderful. Sometimes the thing that you fear the most actually ends up being a gift. So, you know, th that was a surprise on the development side. There are other surprises in production. Maybe Attica has some of those to share. I think the casting of... Making families by casting was really hard. And there were low moments where I thought, I don't know if we're going to pull this off. Um, you're trying to match energy. Like you're trying to, you want each individual family member character to be as you wrote them on the page, but then they all have to energetically, believably be a family. And for Black folks, you're also looking at skin tone because Black viewers will call you out in two seconds, like, I don't understand how that family went together. <laughs> and I remember like, we have to make, I'm sorry, I just have to say this. We were like, we have to make the grandmother light skin. We have to put that in there. Just make sure you get a shot of the light. 
That's going to explain the whole thing. Like, so I didn't know how we were going to pull all this off. And then also the on the Italian side, we had Eugenio, uh, who played Lino from Rome. We were looking at other Sicilian actors. They were from different regions of Sicily, so they spoke Sicilian differently. How are these people going to be believably a family? And to this day, the greatest, most beautiful surprise is that the the Ortolanos, the actors who played that family, love each other so much. They still spend so much time together. That was a humongous surprise that they became a family. And that it was just a beautiful thing that happened. They, they ate their meals together. They got together on weekends. They, to this day, hang out on vacation together. It's just amazing. And sitting, looking at tapes over Zoom, how could we ever have imagined that these people that we were picking via Zoom who had never met were going to fall in love with one another as a family and, and still be a... Um, a tight unit, be a part of each other's lives. The, the 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 casting over Zoom that it worked surprises the hell out of me. At every single level, we cast every single person over Zoom and it worked. Unbelievable. Another, yeah, production surprise too for us because we shot, um, there are three three episodes take place either in their entirety or in part in Sicily, in, in Italy. But we shot everything, most all the interiors we shot here in the States. And then we we hadn't even found our locations in Italy yet while we were shooting locations wow. domestically. And I was like, this is never gonna work. And I was <laughs> like, joke. And I and like and then many members of our team had never actually been to Sicily. So then I was like, oh my God, this is we are making, as they say in Italy, when people and they often in Italy say this of American filmmaking TV shows. They call it a polpettone, which is like a big meatball where you just like take everything and <laughs> smash it together, throw some sauce on it and think it's going to be delicious. They're like, I was like, we're making a meatball. Like, what is what are we actually doing here? So the fact that we were able to then and I credit our locations team, our production design team, our post team, that there is a seamlessness between the interiors of LA and the exteriors in Sicily in a way that I have literally had my own Sicilian relatives be like, I know that place. And I'm like, you don't know that place. <laughs> so something like talk about teamwork, talk about cracking the code for how to solve this puzzle. Cause it was a Rubik's cube. It was a Rubik's cube of literally like, is this window Okay, for is this going to work because we got a blue screen this window and have the it, it was insane. And yet it's stunning. It's stunning and like had me fooled. I had no idea. I was like this is my impression. I, I, I mean, I assumed you shot during COVID, but not necessarily during height of COVID. So I was like, ooh, how nice. They got to go to Sicily and make this show and be put up. Like, ooh, that must have been great for them. You know what I mean? So like color me corrected because that really it's remarkable so kudos to the entire team because it, it it is it's seamless it's beautiful i i would say you made a delicious meatball <laughs> <laughs> yeah there you go so okay moving on to more life focused stuff this is sort of the last question in the career section but um is there anything that you haven't done in your career yet that you want to try 
maybe not even tangential to writing or producing? I, I think for me, the thing I'm most curious about next is to write the project that has the exact right part for me as an actor to play in. I haven't quite, I now have the two separate careers and I'd be curious. The next frontier for me is what would it look like to put those together? Just out of curiosity, it's not necessarily that I'm the lead in it, but I'd like to be able to craft a character that excites me enough that I'm like, oh, I feel like I would have something to offer that character. I could see myself doing that because I think that'd be an interesting sort of just even the craftsmanship of that on set would be interesting and sort of like tapping into two parts that I now know how to do separately, but to put them together. So I think that that's one thing. I just want to write a big fat book. Um, I want to write a kind of epic, whatever that looks like a family epic. I don't know. I just, I would like to play in that space. I'm like Timby, like really long form storytelling. And then my second answer is kind of, cheesy because I think everybody has said at some point that they want to be a music supervisor, but I had so much fun, so much fun combing through songs for our show. I had so much fun and it was, um, it was a kind of instinctual thing and it was just Great. And I actually think I was good at it. There are there songs that I that I found or or that I suggested for certain moments that are are really great. They really work for the scene. And I just that was a lot of fun. I thought you were gonna say you wanted to direct. Oh, you know what's funny? I I don't think <gasps> I do. Shocker, you heard it here first, I ladies and gentlemen. I do. I and what's so crazy is I went to Sunday, I did the whole director's labs and I've talked about it. And maybe I do, but I think I could go through my whole life without doing it. Um, it sounds hard. It's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of responsibility. A lot of work and a lot of responsibility. I think the part that I would love the most, and I think the part the part of me that says, I don't think I want to direct, is the part of me that feels like I would not be as facile around the sophisticated camera stuff. I What I know I would bring, because I know I did it at the labs, what I know I can do in this lifetime is I know how to make people feel stuff, uh, be it words on a page, be it a scene, be whatever. I know how to pull forth an emotion. So I think the part that I would love the most is the humanity of working with the actors. I feel shy about would I have some cool new shot or something like that? I don't know. But I do think the idea of humans sitting around a room to reenact a a scene from life uh and i don't mean like real life from a show that's based in real life i mean just life just parroting life back to itself i think that's the part i would like the most but i think i could probably go my whole life without directing and be fine yeah i mean look all you need is a really good dp that's the secret now that is if you can navigate emotion and story and actors that's actually one of the hardest parts of the process on a finite you know again timing and you have shots and setups and all the things keeping that that baseline like healthy is the hardest part and then i think enough with enough times of working with dps who understand the technology and the lenses and will tell you exactly what lens and what aperture is going to get you the emotion that you want for the for the audience to feel that that's how i think you start to learn like i think there's very few directors that are 
super tech savvy and like don't know how to talk to actors. I mean, they certainly exist, but if you had to have one of the two, I would say you got the thing if it's in case you want to do that. But it, you know, it sounds like you're like, if it comes for you, great, but you're not out there seeking, but you are open and available to be hired as a music supervisor. I'm hearing. So I am. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think I've ever had anyone be that specific with the goal on the show. I think you're definitely the first one to say it, but I I heard on many uh, preparation for this conversation, just how much music is important to you. And when you walk and how it fills your soul, it seems like. And so it's not surprising, frankly, that that's what you would gravitate towards. I have moments, talk about radical gratitude, talking about grounding. I have moments, I've had them recently, where a song is playing and I say, Attica, this, just stay inside this note. That's where all of life is in this note. And sometimes the beauty of a song, and I don't know, it, it is so transporting for me. It is so soulfully settling for me that I can just say this sound this sound is everything. It's all you need to worry about right now in this moment is the sound. All of life is in this note. I love it. I feel like I gravitate to music towards the same way. Like I can hear a song and I see a whole movie in my head. You know, I see a whole mm-hmm. emotional mm-hmm. arc. I see the characters. I see the 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 sh- the color palette of the shots. You know, I see it all. Yes. Um, I don't know what that says about me because I haven't, I, I don't direct and I haven't really, I've attempted to dabble in writing, but it's been, sort of a struggle city for many years to actually commit and be disciplined about it. But, but I, I see it v- vibrantly as well when the song really hits me in a way that's like almost like a, something I know from a past life. It feels like sometimes, you know, like an old song that yes. speaks to my soul. So um, yeah, no, I, I subscribe to that as well. Okay. So, so this is a new little segment where we just have audi- audience questions either from IG or they email it to us. And so we will keep it short and sweet, but And you can both answer or take turns however you want to do it. But the first one is, how do you remain objective and take notes slash criticisms from reps and execs when the narrative is so personal? Um, Well, I have a kind of rule that anything that comes up more than two times or more, you should mm -hmm. listen to. A note that comes from three different people and you hear it two or three times, you need to listen to it. doesn't mean do the note. That means listen to the note. I think here's where having a partnership helped because there were times where, well, first of all, Timby and I were very clear going into everything. There are some hard lines here. There's just some things that just going to be in the show. This is the show you're buying. It's just going to be in it. Somebody's going to kiss in the rain. Somebody's going to make food and a thing. Some stuff is just going to be in there. These are non-negotiables. Everything else, let's have a conversation. Everything else is a conversation. And I think there were times where either Timby could see things differently than I could see in the moment. And so we could be objective for the Mm -hmm. other one. Uh, I know that because Timby had her actual memories that sometimes were, were richer than what we were shooting, that she was seeing things that were missing and I could go like, actually, as a viewer, they don't know all that. This is this is mm-hmm. they got it. They'll understand this. But but there were times where it went the other way. And I think that that is a blessing of having a really close partnership that you can do that for each other. Um, but I think knowing where the non-negotiables are 
And then if you're going to have non-negotiables, you can't be an asshole about everything else. If you got five non-negotiables, listen to everything. Don't be a dick and be like, well, I'm not budging on this. Listen to everything. And if things come up more than once, listen, you don't have to do them, just listen. And then it's just slowing down and trying to, you have to have a skill set of telling a story and knowing what has to be there and what actually doesn't have to be there. And then you can you can you can take the note, but still be fundamentally telling the story that you want to tell. I hope that makes sense. I hope that it makes that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I would add to that if there was something that I felt very personal, that I felt without this thing, we're cheating a part of the experience of the mm. show, right? Or some aspect of the experience. And if nobody else was seeing that, then I had to ask myself, okay, well, am I just attached to this? Because as Attica was saying, it's something I know and I live in it. Or is that thing, if can I find a way to put the essence of that somewhere else, right? Like, so that if I really feel like that needs, that color needs to be on the canvas, maybe it can't be over here in this scene. But I need to put that color somewhere. So then the onus is on me to go back to the drawing board and figure out where I can infuse that energy, that piece, that essence, that color in the tableau of the whole series. Because it's something for me that I feel like it needs to be in there. And that um, sometimes was, you know, meant really, okay, well, that can't be here, but we can put that later in the series. And we can just hint at it or it'll just be like a whiff of it, Mm. right? It'll be a whiff of that thing. And that way I felt satisfied. Like I hadn't short shrift myself creatively or short shrift what I knew to be. I mean, I think one of the things that viewers tell us so much about the show is that it feels so rich. Like they're right there with us. Like they feel there's these, there's this like, um, there's a texture to the screen. And by the way, that is a lot of the DP. And Laura Fox, our production designer. And there's a lot of that happening, but there's also this energetic thing that we were layering so much. And sometimes it's just that extra little layer that I would put in there that maybe nobody else would matter to anyone else, right? But collectively, it's adding up to this, you know, full experience. So for me, when someone was like, we don't need that, we don't need that, we don't need it, I'd be like, well, that, they don't need it. Okay, maybe we don't need it. Maybe we really don't need it here. But some bit of that we yeah. need somewhere. And let me go and figure that out. Yeah, it's having that ability to, it's like compromising, which sounds like a really scary word, but it's really being able to know that give and take, right? And where in the process you can still inject like things that you know, textures that you know, maybe no one will notice, but at its best, you know they're there. And maybe at its super best, it does matter. And it does become that je ne sais quoi that people are like, there's just something about it, right? Which it's it's really interesting, yeah. So thank you for that. Okay, so the yeah, and people people thought we were. I mean, I I know people thought I was crazy sometimes. I I, I truly because I was like, no no no, this, I, we needed that. And and sometimes it didn't make it on set. But guess what? We got to play with something in post mm. that was a sonic experience that captured the thing that I was visually looking for that we weren't able to get that particular yeah. day. 
So there's always a way. I think it's it's there's that humbleness you're talking about. I know we talked about it as what makes a good producer. I just think it's what makes a good collaborator. I think that you you have to have a vision for the thing that you want, but you can't be unrelenting in that vision because it's a collaborative art form. Otherwise, go shoot the whole thing yourself and then it'll be exactly how you want it. You know what I mean? But like you have to be able to trust that you're having these partners on the journey who are seeing things you don't see, who have experiences you don't have, who are going to bring opinions that maybe are additive or maybe they're not correct, but they still create dialogue. And I think if you look at it from that place, it doesn't have to be this like, it's this way, or it's my way or the highway. You know, it's it's not a soul soul genius kind of art form. You know, it really it yeah. relies on the on the uh, the entirety of the whole. And and by the way, if you can do that with your own personal lived experience around one of the most intimate and traumatic experiences of your life, then you can certainly do it with the story that's being made up. Like it's a lesson <laughs> in collaboration. Like if I could do it around this, then we can do it. It can it's actually possible. be done. There's nothing you're going to be more attached to than the shit you lived through and your late husband and you made like, like you hit all the things that you would be like, oh, it's so precious. You can't be precious. Yeah. We, we got to be able to, if you have, if you brought, if you brought this team together, then you got to trust in the team. Amen. Amen. Okay. Last question before we move on to the lightning round. What is something you wish you knew about the entertainment industry when you were first starting out? Something that you would tell your younger self. Everyone is terrified. They're scared. The bigger the office, the more scared they are. They're scared. And so do with that information, young Attica, what you will. But they are maybe and probably more frightened than you are. They're very scared. And I would say not everything is personal. It may feel personal, but it, it's it, it's not. And that means if you're the actor and that scene that you'd wanted to do just got cut and now you've got four lines and not a page and a half, if it's, you know, as um, a writer, if it's like that, didn't work and you wrote it and it's beautiful and it worked on the page but now it's up on its feet on set and it's something is missing in the scene and it's not coming together it's not personal we're in a collaborative medium let's figure it out together it's not all on me it's not all on any one person right even the director who's at the helm of that day it's not all the director can shepherd guide but they need up they need the writers you need the actors, you need all these different inputs. Yeah. And so it's not, we all take collective responsibility knowing that someone's at the lead. So it's not, yeah. it's not personal. And if that's, a, that's, I, I thought everything was like, oh my God, I did something wrong. That's why that line is gone. No, it's like they couldn't, they, they're short on the day. Time is of the essence. Yeah. They don't have time. They, they'll, they'll put that line in ADR, you know, later. They just, let's go. Yeah. It had nothing to do with me performance or anything about me right, right? nobody thinking about not just kind of what you learn you know nobody's really thinking about you they're all terrified thinking of themselves and how to like not screw up or not get fired <laughs> it's kind of like a wild business but hey we chose it um okay so we will move to the lightning round uh which are five fun little questions to take us out but Thank you both so much for taking the time to be here with me. Um, I, like, I love the show so much. I love watching your journey unfold, continuing to unfold. And I can't wait to see what you do next, keeping an eye out for you ladies. And so thank you again for taking the time to be here. 
Thank, Thank you. you. It's so fun. It's been such a pleasure. I love this conversation. Okay. So lightning round. Here we go. First question in Attica, you'll love this one. What's a song that teleports you to a happy place? There's so many. I'm going to go with Lovely Day by Bill Withers. For me, the first one that came to mind was um, Fly Me to the Moon. And that song, every time, and there are a couple of people who sing it that I really just love their rendition of it. But it, I literally have thought before, like, when was I going to play this like at my memorial service? Like, literally, it gets my song. Like, you know, it's just, there's the lyrics are beautiful. Often the arrangement's beautiful. And if you get the right vocalist, it feels uplifting. It's like anything is possible. Love it. What's the latest piece of art that moved you? It could be a book, a film, a show, anything. I The first thing that comes to my mind, I actually saw an exhibit at um, Texas Southern University, which is an HBCU in Houston. They had a collection of early Basquiat, but the things that his family had of his. And I didn't realize that he wrote plays. And him writing these plays I don't know. It just I saw another whole side to his artistry, and um, it moved me. It moved me because I was watching a play mounted as a piece of art. Like I wasn't hearing it or seeing it staged. I was watching it. I was reading it framed with all the crossouts, and it was something about process. It was about here's a visual artist doing a written form, but now mm. I'm seeing experiencing as a visual form. It just was amazing. And it was also um, very political and timely because I could have been, he could have been talking about today and it was, he wrote it in the eighties. Wow. Um, And of course my mind is a total and complete, absolute blank of a blank of a blank. Um, Is an absolute blank. We'll skip it. We'll skip it. Fill in the blank. When I'm overworked, blank helps ease the stress. TikTok. (laughs) TikTok. I fucking love TikTok, guys. It's going to put us all out of business, but God damn it, that shit is fucking entertaining. (laughs) And it just is pleasurable to be surprised every minute. I don't know what's going to pop up on the screen. So I would say TikTok reading or taking a walk. Yeah, for me, it's taking a walk or a really good meal. Like I need just a good meal. Like that's like the palate cleanser of any day. It's just like, okay, well, that happened. But guess what? Now I'm going to like really just sit down and have something yummy and delicious and good and primal and fill all the senses with good stuff because that was a shit show that <laughs> I just left. Love it. Okay. What is one of the most worthwhile investments that you've ever made? And it does not have to be financial. Oh, my God. Uh, writing a novel, taking the time and borrowing money to write a novel uh, changed the course of my life? My answer is very similar. And I was going to say oddly similar, but maybe not oddly similar. When I chose to write the memoir and I literally took, I didn't fully take time off as an actor because I couldn't. I was solo single mom and I needed the health insurance and I had to keep doing commercials and whatever day player jobs I could get as an actor, but I had to book out for big periods of time just to be able to go the emotional terrain to write the book Um, with no promise, by the way, that more than 50 people would read it. But I was like, and the agents were like, what are you, I didn't even tell them I was writing a book. I was like, I need to book out because what I make up some, you know, innocuous. Um, 
So that was a great investment in myself. It was an investment in a part of me that needed to see the light of day. Amazing. Okay, last question. Uh, So this is borrowing from Inside the Actor Studio, which is one of my favorite shows. And this question, which was inspired by the famed French journalist Bernard Pivot, is what he asks at the end, which is, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Damn, girl, you showed out. Damn, girl, you showed out. I would like God to say, welcome. There's a stack of books and a very, very comfy chair. Enjoy. I love it. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so much, you both, for having this conversation, for doing this fun lightning round with me and just playing a little bit. It's such a treat um, to spend this Friday afternoon with you both. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. This is delightful. This has uplifted me. It is. I'm going to take Good. all this to the picket line. Let's do yes. it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in and doing this live thing with me. If you like the show, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. I'm at Carolina Gropa. The show's at Angle on Producers. And I'll see you next week. Beijos.